raise your hand if you know what regifting is. Okay? And will those of you who know please help those who are lying about not knowing? <laughs> regifting is taking a gift you got from somebody else. Maybe something you didn't like, something you didn't need, and giving it to someone else as a gift from you. And if you ask most people about it, they would say, oh, that's just tacky. Regifting, that's just tacky. But you know what? A Harris Interactive poll revealed that 52% of people admit to regifting. Now look at the person next to you. And if it's not you, it's them. 78% of people said it's okay to regift. Regiftable.com ran a contest a few weeks ago, just right before Thanksgiving, actually. They invited people to share their regifting experiences. You know, um, as regifters or regiftees. And I, I picked out a few of them. They had quite a few that were really good. This one's from a lady named Mary in Chillicothe, Illinois. I received a lovely address book from a dear friend for Christmas last year. As I was transferring addresses and telephone numbers from my old book, I came upon an entry in my friend's handwriting for a minister she knew in another state. Moral of the story, don't use the item if you're going to regift. From Pamela in Duluth, Minnesota. Several years ago, I was shopping for a gift for my father's girlfriend. She collected anything with cats on it, and I had my hands full trying to find something she didn't already have. After several weeks, I found a beautiful lap throw that I knew she didn't have and had expressed an interest in previously. I got it for her, and she loved it. However, the following year, I was both stunned and slightly amused to find that she had regifted the same throw to me, claiming she had shopped for hours to find me a nice gift. From Scott in Augusta, Georgia, one year my boss gave all the department heads a very nice coffee table book on wine. I don't care at all for wine, but decided it was too nice a gift not to be enjoyed by someone, so I decided to re-gift the book to a close friend that really enjoys wine. Well, and I love how he puts this, well, the adoration from my friend didn't last long, because after unwrapping what they thought was a great gift, we discovered that my boss had personalized each copy with a handwritten message inside the book. <laughs> and then he says, I should have just ripped that sucker out and kept on going. Oh, well, it was a really nice book. Paula in Scherer, Schererville, Indiana. Anybody know where that is? Schererville? Okay. We received a gift card for Christmas from my husband's aunt for a restaurant, but when we went to use it, we found out she had given us a gift card she had already used, and the balance on the card was one dollar. <laughs> uh, but this is my favorite one, hands down. My wife sprung it on me at the last minute that we were going to my brother-in-law's uh, birthday party. We realized that we didn't have a gift for him and there wasn't enough time to shop, so I decided to go through my closet in hopes of finding a gift. I started to rummage through my clothes when, lo and behold, I find the Holy Grail, a brand new sweater with the tags still attached. My wife quickly wrapped it and off we went. 
After blowing out his candles, the brother-in-law opened the gift and held it up for everyone to see with a funny smile on his face. I couldn't tell if he was happy, disappointed, or disgusted. He turns to me and says, so I guess you didn't like the sweater either. (laughs) What do you mean, I asked, confused. He replied, my ex-girlfriend gave me this sweater three years ago, and I didn't like it, so I gave it to you as a Christmas present last year. Last week, we began a a series we're calling All I Want for Christmas, and we're talking about the amazing, incredible, heart-stopping gift of the grace of God. And last week, we said that, that grace is the something missing. It's the something missing in our lives and in our relationships. It's the something missing in our, in our culture. It's the something that's missing between people and missing in our interactions with people around us. Grace. Undeserved favor. Unconditional acceptance. Grace. Being given exactly what we do not deserve. Giving to others what they do not deserve. And it's true, we can find some some bits and pieces of grace here and there. But grace really is in short supply. And one of the reasons it's in short supply is it's so difficult to receive it sometimes. I mean, I don't deserve it. And another reason it's in short supply is because it's difficult to extend to others because, I mean, after all, you don't deserve it. And so we we see it sometimes, but it really is in short supply. And, And here's one of the reasons. If I'm going to become a graceful person, that means I have to forgive. And if I forgive, that lets them off the hook. If I'm going to become a a graceful person, I will have to move in their direction before they move in my direction. And you know what? I might get taken advantage of. If I'm going to become a graceful person, that means I'm going to have to move against the current of most of my relationships. I'm going to have to move against the current of our culture and our society. I'm I'm going to have to do things so differently from the way almost everyone else does them, and I'm just not sure I'm willing to do that. I'm not sure that's that's a risk I'm willing to take. And every time I hear a great message on grace, and I've heard a lot of them, every time I read a great book about grace, I read a lot of them, I just, I just finished reading one. Every time I, I get convicted and I think, I, I'm just going to start being a more graceful person, there's this voice in the back of my head that says, don't do it. Don't do it. People will hurt you. People will take advantage of you. You'll be letting them off easy. And I hear that voice and I'm tempted to retreat, to retreat into a place where I only give what's been given. I'm tempted to retreat to a place where I carefully measure out grace in in just the right proportions to match up with what a person has done to earn it or deserve it. 
or to convince me to give it to them. When they've showed themselves worthy, I retreat to a place of ungrace. See, there's, there's no such thing as a little bit of grace. There's either grace or ungrace. But you know, every now and then, we'll see a display of grace that just takes our breath away. You, you may not remember this, but it happened in the late 90s, continued on into the 2000s. It's the story of a, of a hog farmer named Joe Moore. He's from a little small rural community in a town called Tulia, Texas. And Joe Moore was falsely accused of dealing drugs. And incredibly enough, he was convicted and he was sentenced to 60 years in prison. Four years later, four years in prison, it was finally proven that the undercover investigator who, who had been responsible for this case had lied, had faked evidence, not just on Joe Moore, but on 37 other people. And Joe Moore was given a, pr- a pardon, full pardon, by the, the governor of Texas. And he was set free when he was 60 years old. But the damage was done. He'd lost his farm. He lost his reputation in the community. Uh, a lot of his family had kind of given up on him and distanced themselves from him. And, and when he was walking away from prison, a, a TV reporter stuck a microphone in his face and said, you spent four years in jail for a crime you didn't commit. Are you bitter toward the man that put you behind bars? And listen to Joe Moore's response. He said, I have no right to be bitter. Wrong, Joe Moore. You of all people, have every right to be bitter. I mean, I don't have a right to be bitter You know, when my spouse does something I don't like. I don't have a right to be bitter when my, when my co-worker does something that, that I don't like, says something about me. I don't have a right to be bitter against that guy that cuts me off in traffic or takes my parking place at Walmart. I, I admit, I don't have a right to be bitter, but Joe Moore, you've got a right to be bitter. But Joe Moore says, I have no right to be bitter because I forgave him long ago. I'm thankful that the Lord was watching over me. It's hard to know how I'm going to make a living. I've got nothing left, but I'll just leave it in the hands of the Lord. There it is. That's grace in action, folks. And you know what? It shocks us. It just shocks us. We who are so used to settling the score. We who are so used to getting them back for what they've done to us. That kind of grace doesn't look right to us. It doesn't feel right to us. But there's something in me and probably in you that sees that and says, Wow, that is amazing. It's incredible. Why does that kind of grace shock us? Why is grace so rare? Why is it so hard to live out? Why is grace so missing from the world around us? Why is it so missing from my own heart? Those kind of questions lead us right to the Bible. 
Turn over, if you will, to Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at what Paul has to say about grace, a little bit of what he has to say about grace. And one of the things that we're going to see is that grace wasn't invented when Jesus showed up on earth. That, in fact, grace has been part of God's plan all along. And we're going to see how ungrace came into the world because of one man and how grace returned to the world through another man. We're going to see where that original grace went and we're going to discover that Christmas is God regifting us with His grace. Christmas is God regifting us with His grace. Paul uh, begins this section that we want to look at this morning in chapter 12. Here's what he says. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Paul says, you want to know why there's so little grace in the world? You know why we struggle to live it out? It's because of sin. Paul says, you want to know where grace went? It walked out the door when sin walked in. Now, Paul's talking to a Jewish audience. And so he explains all this in terms that, that they understood, but sound a little strange to us. They all knew where sin came from. They could tell you that it came from one man, that it came from Adam. You remember the story of Adam and Eve? You know, that's, that's one of those stories that even people who don't go to church know. Because somewhere along the way they went to Sunday school or they went to vacation Bible school and Adam and Eve is one of those stories that just gets told every now and then, right? I mean, every now and then in Sunday school and in children's church and vacation Bible school, you get in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You, you get that, you know, along with a few other Bible stories. But God creates everything. He, he creates everything that exists. And then He creates Adam and Eve and He puts them in this amazing place, this Garden of Eden where all of their needs are taken care of, where everything is theirs. Everything is, is theirs to be used. And you know what? They didn't earn any of it. They didn't do one thing to deserve it. It was just there for the taking, free. They lived in a world of grace. They are getting exactly what they don't deserve. They're getting access to all of this amazing awesomeness that God did, and they didn't do one single thing to deserve it. And you know, in that world of grace, there, there, was, there was no list of rules. Didn't need any. There was no um, thou shalt not. There was no don't go there. There was just one little thing. Just one little rule in the Garden of Eden. Don't eat from that one tree. It wasn't a whole orchard of trees, you know, a whole forest full of trees. Don't eat off those trees. It was one tree. Don't eat off that one tree. Everything else is yours to enjoy. Literally, every other thing in, in existence is yours to use, to enjoy. Just don't eat 
from this one tree. How simple is that? But we know what happens. We know what they did. They ate from the one tree. And sin enters in. And from that point on, all of humanity is infected with sin. It gets passed on from one generation to the next, to the next, and the next, and the next. We're all infected by sin. Every single one of us, you and me, we all have this thing in us that pulls us toward rebellion. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. We all have this pull toward selfishness and self-centeredness. I want what I want, when I want it, the way I want it. And woe be unto you. Not woe, but woe be unto you. If you don't give me exactly what I want, when I want it, the way I want it. We all have this pull in us toward taking rather than giving. Get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the lid. We're all infected by sin. And it, it messes up everything. It messes up everything. It messes up our lives and our marriages and our, and our relationships and, and our careers and our, and our finances. It destroys everything. And the people that Paul was talking to knew this. They knew it. They knew about the infection of sin. They knew about grace walking out the door when sin walked in. All they had to do was take a look around them at the ungrace world that they lived in. Everybody doing unto others the way it had been done unto them. People thinking they had to earn their way back to God. People thinking, i got to get this right. i got to perform my way back to God so that one day He'll say, Now you're good enough. And almost every religion in the world has bought into the idea that there's a good God in a good heaven who's just waiting for bad people to perform good enough, to be good enough, to get good enough to reach Him. God's got this naughty list and nice list, right? And we got to work real hard. we got to get real busy doing what it takes to get on the nice list. That's what the religions of the world teach. And you may, uh, you may remember me telling you one time that religion is one person saying to another, before you can please God, you have to please me. Before you can become acceptable to God, you've got to be acceptable to me. And isn't that the way we treat each other? You better behave right if you want me to treat you right. You want my approval? You got to earn it. We live in a world of ungrace, of payback, of I'm going to give you what you deserve and not one thing more. So Paul says sin is in the world. It came into the world through one man. And when sin came in, grace walked out. And you know what I want to say? 
I want to say the same thing you want to say. Wait a second. That's not fair. I'm infected with sin. I didn't even know. I, I got this human condition. I didn't choose it. It's not fair. Well, welcome to the real world, Neo. Life isn't fair. Isn't that one of the things that we have to try to teach our kids? Mom! Dad! It's not fair! She gets to do that. I didn't get to. It's not fair. They get that thing. I didn't get one. It's not fair. They get to go there. I didn't get to go. Life is not fair. Fairness walked out with grace. And where there's sin, there's no fairness. Where there's sin, there's no fairness. There's selfishness and greed and theft and addiction and bitterness and unforgiveness and anger and pride. But there is no fairness. We're all born with the tendency towards sin. And it's not fair. But it's reality. I keep following Paul's line of thought here. Fair or not, same. Uh, sin came into the, to, to the world through one man and death followed. And in fact, in the next chapter, chapter 6, Paul's going to say that, that the wages of sin is death. In other words, sin earns death. And right here in, in chapter 5, verse 14, he says, everyone dies. Everyone dies. That means that death was king. Death ruled. Physical death, spiritual death. And that's really bad news. But then Paul teases us just a little bit. He says, yeah, we're all infected with sin. Death is the result. Death is the king. And then look at verse 15. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. Now before we talk about the gift, I want us to see something here. Paul is making a one-to-one correlation. He's, he's showing us how God built into history, human history, the lesson that we need to learn about this. Watch, watch what he says as he goes on in verse 15. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Paul says death came because of one man, because of Adam, because of his one act of sin. And we were all infected. Now, I want you to imagine what one act of the God-man can do. What, what one act of the God-man, Jesus Christ, what it can do. It changes everything. It undoes what's been done. The, the one act of the God-man, Jesus Christ, ends the reign of death. And he goes on in verse 16. And the result of God's gracious gift 
is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. And here's where where some translations use a good old-fashioned Bible word, justification. And justification is really simple. You, you know the definition we, you might have learned. You might have learned it at Bible camp, again, in vacation Bible school. Maybe some preacher told you that justification means we stand before God. How? Just as if I'd never sinned. Justification is being made right with God. Being given a standing with God that's like we've never broken one rule. That we've never broken one law. That we've never sinned one sin. Justification is knowing that we stand before God and we have a relationship with Him just like we had never sinned. And everybody who receives the gift we're going to talk about in a minute is made right with God. It's like we never sinned. But uh, I did sin. I know. How can I stand before a holy God? Because of the gift. We'll get to that in a minute. But I don't deserve to stand before God like I didn't sin. Because I did. You're right. This isn't fair. This isn't about deserve anymore. This isn't about earn anymore. This is new. This is grace. But it's not fair. God's got me dead to rights. Sure does. And you're right. It's not fair. It's grace. But I wouldn't do that for anybody. Right again. But it isn't about you. It's about grace. Well, I, I don't get it. Neither do I. <laughs> Neither did they. So Paul says it again, verse 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness for all who will receive it, live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Did you see it? There's the gift. There's what's in the box. You know, we want to shake it. What's in here? There it is. The gift is righteousness. The gift is righteousness. That's the free gift of grace. Righteousness. A right standing before God. We're we're just, we're not wrong anymore. We're right. As far as God is concerned. Righteousness means being able to say, God sees me as righteous. He sees me as right. Because He said so. And so I don't have to fake it. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to make a bunch of promises. I don't have to make a bunch of deals with God. It's a gift. A gift of standing with God. But there's another big R word here that we dare not overlook. Receive. We have to receive the gift of righteousness. And when we do, 
We are regifted with God's grace. It is reintroduced into our lives. And here's where we struggle. Here's where we struggle, and it's different for everybody because of the environments. We grew up in different environments. We grew up in different churches. We have different experiences in our past. But for every one of us, it just doesn't compute. I mean, I, you know, I was in school, and all my teachers graded me. So I just kind of figured God's graded me too. And, you know, I had to run real fast and, and jump real high to make the track team. God's probably expecting me to run real fast and jump real high. And you know, I had to out-interview everybody that was up for that job. So I, you know, I probably got to interview with God, and I've got to out-interview everybody else. I mean, God's got His standards, right? Everybody has a standard, and I'm, I'm out here trying to meet everybody's standard. I'm sure God has one too, and I've got to meet that. But that's ungrace talking. That's ungrace way of thinking. And you know when our trouble starts? Our trouble starts when we take that ungrace way of thinking and we try to lay it over on top of Christianity. And we get some of the weirdest, stupidest things. I'm not supposed to say stupid. I'm in trouble. We get this crazy hodgepodge of religion and rules and rituals where, where we think we've got to impress God, that we've got to perform for God, that we've got to be good enough until we reach the point where He finally says, all right, you're okay. It's hard for us to understand that God wants to give us, give us a right standing with Himself that has nothing to do with our personal righteousness. When it comes to our relationship with God, there is nothing more irrelevant than our personal righteousness because we cannot be that good. That's why it's a gift. God had to give it to us. Otherwise, we'd never been able to get it. We couldn't earn it on our own. Has, any, has anybody ever given you a gift that there was just no way? I mean, if you saved your pennies and you saved your dimes, there would be no way you could have afforded that. No way you could have ever gotten it for yourself. Vicky and I have been blessed like that a few times down through the years in our lives. And that's what's happening here. We couldn't earn it. We couldn't deserve it. We couldn't get it any other way unless God gave it to us. And then check out verse 18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But, man, you got to underline that but in your Bible. Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Look at that passage closely. How many righteous acts did it take? One. Just one. One act. 
And whose act was it? Was it your act of righteousness? Was it my act of righteousness? No. No, your name's not in that scripture. Mine's not either. It's not our action that makes us righteous, that gives us a right standing with God. It's the act of the one, the God-man, Jesus Christ. It doesn't say through the obedience of Scott, Scott was made righteous. It doesn't say through the obedience of Vicky, Vicky was made righteous. Bombshell. Our obedience has nothing to do with our right standing before God. And man, that's hard for us to hear. It's got to! Nope. That's ungrace talking. That's, I'm going to earn my way to God. I mean, look over there. I'm not as bad as that guy. And you know what? I've been coming to church for a month. It's killing me. But I've been four weeks in a row. And I even read my Bible. Remember that one time? I read my Bible. And it's around here somewhere. It's on the dashboard of the car. I keep it there so it's always there when I go to church. I mean, I'm moving in the right direction. <laughs> if you've got a dashboard Bible, I'm sorry. Sorry for you. I'm not sorry for what I said. No. I'm moving in the right direction. Doesn't that count for something? I mean, isn't God impressed by my obedience? Absolutely not. He's only ever been impressed by one act of obedience, by one person, Jesus Christ. And Jesus' one act of obedience got, the, got our, our Father God's attention just enough for Him to say, everybody who receives the gift of right standing with me through your one act of obedience, they will stand before me as if they had never sinned. Not because of what they did, but because of what you did, Jesus. Remember what John said last week? Grace on top of grace, on top of grace, on top of grace, on top of grace. Now here's the thing. Zach, come up here. This Christmas, we're going to we're going to get some of these, and, and we're going to give some of these. But in the, uh, in the ungrace world that we live in, these come to us like this, don't they? Don't they? In the ungrace world that we live in, an awful lot of the gifts that we give and, and, and an awful lot of the gifts we receive are just like this. Now, sometimes it's not this obvious. But in the ungraced world, we get accustomed to strings being attached to everything that's given to us. When the Bible says something is a gift, there's got to be some strings attached. Right? I mean, we can sing about how amazing it is, but come on. At the end of the day, there's no free lunch. I mean, it, a gift? No, it's more like a contract, isn't it? I mean, if you will, then I will. If you don't, then I won't. That, yeah, I, I can handle that. But a gift? No, it can't be that simple. But here's the message of Christmas. 
I think. Thank you for that. You can sit down. Take your strings and go sit down. That's the message of Christmas. That's what it is. The gift of righteousness is a no-strings-attached gift. It's a grace gift offered to unrighteous people who could never get it, never achieve it, never earn it on their own. The only way we could ever have a right standing with God is for God to give it to us. Now, you know, I, I had no choice but to be born a sinner. Neither did you. But we have a choice about receiving the gift. God doesn't force the gift on us. We have a choice. We have the choice of receiving it. And when we do, we are given a right standing with God. And we say, I, I don't deserve it. Well, so what? It's grace. Or we say, well, you know, I kind of do deserve it more than some people and maybe less than others. Okay. You're horribly wrong, but okay. It's grace. It's grace. When sin entered, grace went out the back door. And Christmas is God saying, grace is back. Grace is back and it's come in the form of a little baby that you don't deserve. And he's going to grow up and live a life that you could never live. And he's going to die. He's going to suffer and die on a cross for sins that he didn't commit. And he's going to pay for all your sins. And you don't deserve a single bit of it. And when you finally realize that there's no way to reach God on your own. When you finally come with open hands and receive, not earn. Receive, not perform. Receive, not deserve. Receive the gift. Everything changes. Every relationship. Every decision, every interaction, everything changes. Christmas is the time when grace is regifted back to us. And that's all we need for Christmas. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.